Good morning, church. It's good to uh, be with you today. Um, Just a special word to the worship team. Thank you so much. You know, week after week when I come in here, um, you've committed yourselves, prepared yourselves to lead us to the feet of Jesus. And so I'm so grateful for that. And so to Joe and those who work with Joe, thank you so, so much for that gift. Yeah, you could clap for them if you wanted to. <laughs> so uh, Rob mentioned that we travel in from St. Stephen, and uh, he mentioned Heather, who's not here uh, today. She decided to uh, bail on me. So it was a really quiet drive up, but it was a good... T- okay, that didn't... No. <laughs> Sorry, Heather, I know you're watching at home. My bad. But it's good to make the travel to be with the body here. And uh, Rob mentioned that I do have a new gig here, uh, checking in uh, the kids at the, um, down at the, the, uh, yeah, zero to five, I think it is, if I've got that right. I'm a little befuddled when I talk about it because in 30 years of ministry, it's the thing that has caused me the most anxiety. They're crazy, right? But... uh, It's a great view of the world, and I'm so grateful for the parents who bring their kids to learn about Jesus at a young age. Such a gift uh, to us as a church, but to the kingdom of God. And so please pray for, as you know, the children and youth of our church. God is doing great things there. Last week in Halifax, they held the uh, Halifax International Security Forum a global consortium of people who are interested in the security of the world. And as they were leading in uh, to that event happening, I caught this newsreel that led in by kind of saying that they were going to talk about feeling secure in an insecure world. I thought, wow, what a great concept. The recognition that we're in an insecure world, but there's something that we can do about it to be secure. It also reminded me of a term called VUCA, I don't know if you've heard that term or if you've heard other people talk about that term, but VUCA is a term that came out of the leadership world in the early 1980s and was picked up and maybe even made more popular in around 87, 88, when the U.S. Army picked the term up to begin to describe the conditions that they saw in a post-Cold War global context. Everything had changed. And they began to realize that the world that they were operating in was marked by being volatile. Uh, It was marked by being uncertain. It was marked by a complexity that they had never dealt with before. And it was marked with ambiguity. It was really hard to tell who was telling you the truth or what what was honest and what was real. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that list of being volatile, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, does it make you think of anything else? Like maybe the world that we're living in. I was thinking about the Beatles uh, song, A Day in the Life, this past week. And the opening line of that is, I read the news, oh my. And as I think about that and the world around us, I think that we live in a time where we see increasing global conflict. We see protesting in our streets. We see the rise of inflation, the rise and marked by a recession. Then there are things like chat, GPT, AI, fake news. Is Canada is broken or isn't broken, depending on which political party you adhere to. There's been this incredible sad rise in racism. 
rise and increase in those who are unhomed or unsheltered. I read this past week that one in 10 Torontonians use a food bank to supplement their food for the week. And then we don't even talk about the virtual reality world and the metaverse, that you can attend an online virtual church where you can be virtually baptized and take virtual communion. That's nothing to say of the rise of anxiety, emotional illness. I think you and I may be living in a VUCA world. We may be living in a world that's volatile, marked by uncertainty, complex, and ambiguity. And into that, there's this vacuum of authority. There's this vacuum, there's this space where everybody who has an opinion steps up to the microphone, grabbing your attention, trying to argue their point of view and their perspective. Let me caution you that Instagram popularity does not make you a global economic or cultural spokesperson. I think, though, there's some comfort for me in knowing that this isn't the first time that the church has been in a VUCA moment. This isn't the first time that the church has come up around volatility and uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity. I think specifically of the Confessing Church of Germany that stood strong against uh, the Nazi movement in the 1940s, costing Dietrich Bonhoeffer his life for standing and defending and speaking out for the gospel against an incredible racist, genocidal group. I think of the Gutenberg Press, and in the 14, 15, and 1600s, it may seem kind of odd and bizarre for us, but it created an incredible VUCA moment in that culture, in that context. Because the Gutenberg Press gave birth to the Gutenberg Bible, Gutenberg Bible, which gave birth to knowledge amongst the masses, which created and sparked a revolution. Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the wall of the Wittenberg Church in 1517, and it led up even to the birth of our movement in 1609, where the First Baptist Church was established by Helwes and Smythe. Vuka moments, and there's something for me that kind of says, it's okay, we've been here before, says God. You see, God's been with his people throughout many VUCA moments. And we see some of them in scripture. In the VUCA and the craziness and the chaos of Jesus sleeping through the storm when his disciples are kind of saying in Matthew 8, like, how can we rule if we're at the bottom of the sea? Or, or maybe in Matthew 26 when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and in the chaos of that moment and the volatility of that moment and not knowing who's doing what and what's going on, we have Peter grabbing his sword trying to defend and protect Jesus. And then in Mark 1, we see how in the chaos of ministry, with people who have come from all over the countryside seeking healing and time with Jesus, that Jesus shows his disciples a better way, a way to spend time with God, not just time doing things for God. Speaking into the midst of the chaos, and Jesus leads his people in a different way. And then there's our scripture text this morning. Out of John 20, verses 19 to 23, and I'll focus on John 20 and 21. If you want to read along with that, you can uh, flip to your phone or grab the red Bible in front of you. It's uh, page 1686. And in the context of this passage, 
The disciples have gone to a room to hide. You see, their world has been turned upside down about what's going on. The culture and context that they lived in, they were ruled by a, a fierce, brutal, occupying Roman government. A government that is noted as one of the most cruel uh, governments of all times. They invented crucifixion as a way to punish a cruel occupying force. But then they also battled with this um, religious dynamic where the Jewish rulers of the day had really focused and fallen into a hollow, shallow religiosity, really about rituals and not about faith, really about kind of lining their pockets and not about caring for the poor. And so when Jesus dies, it throws them into a VUCA moment, a moment of chaos, a moment of volatility, of uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So what do they do? They huddle together the first day of the week in this upper room. And this is how John records it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so into this moment of chaos, into this moment of volatility, into this moment of uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, Jesus comes into that room with his followers. They gathered together because when we think about change, we think about loss. And for them, their worlds had radically changed in a moment. And in that moment, they realized that there were lots that they were going to lose. I can't imagine the emotions that flow out of that moment. Well, actually, I can. We struggle with these too, don't we? I can imagine that they were sad, that they were confused, disappointed, angry, riddled with anxiety, and paralyzed with fear. The emotions that most of us have when we go through those moments of volatility and chaos in our lives, they were in a VUCA world, just like you and I are. And there's something for me in realizing that not only throughout church history have we been in VUCA moments, but when we've been in those VUCA moments, God has been in our presence. And as Jesus comes into that room, there are a few things that we can observe and we can look at and we can learn. The first is this. Jesus created a space where those who were in the room could see him and be seen by him. He comes into the room bringing words of peace be with you. The presence of Jesus coming into the room wanting to instill their fears, their anxiety, their anger, their disappointment, their wondering of what now was going to happen. You see, they had all maybe put different focus on Jesus than maybe what he intended them to. There were some who thought that he was there to overthrow this brutal Roman government. 
There were others who pursued and followed him because he thought, they thought that he was going to bring religious reform. And there were others who followed him because he was a great teacher and others who were looking for social change. And here they were gathered in a room fearing what they had lost because Jesus was dead. And there were whispers now that the tomb was empty. But what did that mean for them? And so Jesus comes into their presence and he speaks into their world and equips them with the Holy Spirit to do the work that he has called them to. Reminds them that as the Father has sent me, I send you. Reminds them that the Holy Spirit is now with them and reminds them that they can be confident in the Holy Spirit that when they say to somebody, if you confess your sins to to Jesus and seek salvation from him, then you can be assured that your sins are forgiven. And in bringing that confidence in the Holy Spirit, in bringing that focus on mission of God, reorientating their focus away from the things of the world that they were looking for back to God's focus, he continued in their presence and ministered to them. And the scripture tells us that something changed in their lives. Something moved them from one place of disillusionment to the point where they now were overjoyed, John says. Out of the pain and anguish that they had been feeling as a group, Jesus enters and their hearts and their minds are renewed and changed. There's something amazing about being in the presence of Jesus, isn't there? There's something about being seen by him And seeing him that radically moves our focus off of what we could potentially lose and instead bask in what we already have. I know that's not easy. We all struggle with loss. We all struggle with anger. And we know that we are our most vulnerable when we are anxious and fearful. When we feel as if we have something to lose. The disciples had missed the memo of what Jesus was coming for. They were trusting and hoping that he would radically change their lives in terms of making them easier, which is something that he really never promised. He promised to carry the yoke with us. But he reminded them that they needed to be in the presence of God. I wanted to give us a little bit of a foretaste of what it's like to be in the presence of God. It's to be in a place where you remember who sees you and who you see. And so I want us to look at these scriptures. And this is a testimony about who he is. I'm going to suggest if you want to take a snapshot of that, you can with your phone. Because I know I'm going to want to remember what these are. He is good. He is powerful, great. He is love. He is patient. He is changeless. He is almighty, righteous, just, and true. He is faithful. He is the all-sufficient one. He is the sovereign Lord, the Son of God. He is the light of the world. Amen? We need to hear that today. But what's great is not only do we see who God is, but he sees who we are. I have a friend who's a great preacher, 
And he says, you know, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, and he calls you by your name. This is some of why. Let's look at who he sees us to be. You are wonderfully made. I don't know who hears to hear, needs to hear this today, but you are loved. You're chosen, you're rescued, you're forgiven. You are free from condemnation. You are complete in Christ. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You have been created to do good works. You are a new creation, a member of the body of Christ. When we are in those moments of anxiety and living out a VUCA moment where everything seems all lost and chaos seems to crowd us out, this is who God sees us to be, his children with purpose and with hope. We're about to enter into Advent season. For 400 years from the time that the prophets stopped speaking in the Old Testament to when the announcement of Jesus comes is 400 years. And for 400 years, the prophets, the church, the nation of Israel looked and waited for the Messiah to come. The promised one who would lead them, God's gift to them. And when he came, many missed him. All of this anticipation only to miss the one who God sent. And you and I have an opportunity as a church every year to be reminded that God planned to send the Messiah, that he planned to send Emmanuel, who's God with us. And I want to encourage you that over this season, that you would take time to recall what the scripture says about God who sees us and the God who we see, and be reminded of the one who God sent as Emmanuel. Now, to do that, you may have some work to do on your soul. You may have some things that you and Jesus need to talk about. You may need to look in and kind of say, is there unconfessed sin that I need to bring up that's blocking me from being with God or hearing from God? And there may be some of you who have never made a profession of faith who now are working through some of the greatest and harshest and painful moments of your journey. Let me encourage you to look to Jesus. Let me encourage you to look to his claims of forgiveness and hope and salvation. Let me encourage us all to look to Emmanuel because God is with us. Let's pray. So God, in these moments, we are so grateful that in the midst of the chaotic world that we live in, that we do not exist here by ourselves, but that you are with us, that you are present and you bring into our lives your peace. And so God, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, and the ambiguity, God, turn our eyes to you. Turn our eyes to focus upon the hope that is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us.